The following content contains adult subject matter, including sensitive material, and is intended for adult consumption only. It may not be suitable for all audiences. Therefore, discretion is advised. Welcome back to Breaking Down with Allie Colbert. We're here. We're breaking down. Today on the show, I start talking like a newscaster. Why do newscasters talk like that? Today, there was a fire in Queens when a squirrel found its way to an acorn and that acorn was on fire today in Queens. They like circle. They like keep saying that four people died in a fire in Chicago. There was a fire where four people died in Chicago due to a fire. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Today on Breaking Down, we have Tristan Taormino. Tristan is, she's wading in the waters. Wading, I think that means you're like in them of sexualities, alternative sexualities, um, and has written so many books about sex. Listen, if you want to listen to a queer dyke talk, this is the episode to do that. And I'm not talking about myself. This is a professional queer dyke, capital Q, capital D, queer dyke. Um, And I really loved chatting with her. She just has so much language I'm just learning. I feel like a baby gay compared to her, you know? I read her memoir recently, A Part of the Heart Can't Be Eaten, and like beautiful depictions of queer sexuality, queer love, female, non-binary focused. So give the show a listen. You're already here, so just keep fucking listening. And follow the show on Spotify. Subscribe, leave us a comment. You can email us, breakingdown at spotify.com. Enjoy. Um, my friend who has a podcast called We're Having Gay Sex struggles a lot with ads just because of the name of the show. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like on Instagram, like we can't even say sex or we're going to get like know, shadow bans. Can we not say sex? No, everyone's writing S-E-G-G-S. All right, or S-X or yeah. weird lettering. I don't even know what's the most effective. Um, but even like when people do closed captioning, they're writing S-E-G-G-S. Yes. Which is just like. But I found that I sometimes I'll intentionally do a typo to like uh, boost the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. To be like, say like, you know, whatever, something instead of sex. But a lot of like, because, you know, I'm in stand-up comedy, like a lot of male comedians, they're always talking about their dick on Instagram. That's obviously never flagged. No, never flagged. That's never fine. Never flagged. That's fine. It's to totally s- fine. To totally say fine. dick. Yes. Um, But talking about your pussy no, flag. That's not allowed at all. I, you can't no, say anything. I can't say anal, which technically has other meanings, but I, yeah, I can't say anal. I don't even, like, know that, I'm always asking people for, like, queer, like, female-specific, like, literature, and, like, the f- same few books come up. Right. You know, like, yeah. Stone Butch Blues as, like, that's, best, best lesbian erotica. That That's, like, the book. Yeah. That I feel, like, what books do you think about when you, well, I started Best Lesbian Erotica, so I'm going to plug that. Oh, plug it, um, yeah. <laughs> but You've written like a hundred books. No. <laughs> and they're all about anal. They're all no. about, it's like getting fucked in the ass again. Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> I've done, I've done two different books about anal. Yeah. And I've done three videos on anal. So it's like, I, I clearly have videos on anal. You know, sexy, explicit, sex ed. Instructional videos. Yeah. What are, what are the, can you just like, condense some of the instructions for everyone? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't think I've, like, had proper anal then. <laughs> well, we're going to go I've never it. followed. There's just one step. Try to fit it in and it doesn't work. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Um, first step of all sex yeah. and anal sex. Yeah. Consent. Yeah, consent. Right? Sure. And I think that's especially important with anal because, like, your butt kind of has a mind of its own, mm-hmm. also known as the external internal sphincters. Mm-hmm. And you can't, like, you you can't mislead it. You you can't fake it. You can't be like, this will be fine. Because your butt is like, mm, yeah. no. Yeah. So so the butt 
has its own rules. Yeah, and your you butt is not going to just like yes and improv the sexual experience. No, for, as <laughs> a general rule, my, my butt will. Yeah. Um, yes and. But yeah. <laughs> but I'm like a professional and yeah. I've been doing it for a while. Right. Um, lube, obviously, lube is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, the ass is not self-lubricating mm-hmm. and spit is not a lube. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, we've used spit before in other contexts. Yeah. Not in the butt. No. Not in the butt. It's not lubricant enough. No, yeah. no, not at all. And that tissue is really delicate. It's actually more delicate and more sensitive than the tissue of the pussy. Yeah. So it's 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 really delicate. And and you know, you can't just jam things in there. Now you shouldn't be jamming things in a pussy either, but yeah. the pussy can be resilient yeah. in a way that the ass really needs you to like handle it gently. Yeah. What's the difference between jam and jelly? <laughs> Jam has the fruit in it. I can't jelly my dick up your ass. No. No. I... <laughs> okay, go okay. on. Obviously, communication. Off to a great right? Communication is really important. Yeah. Um, and the person who's getting penetrated should be the one who's in charge, which I know sounds like... That makes sense. But, but really, they're calling the shots. They're saying like, okay, hold, hold for a second or slow down a little bit mm-hmm. or yeah, I can take more. They they really need to like give feedback to their partner. Yeah. I th- I think that's just really important. I have like the most naive questions about anal sex. I love it. There's no bad question. You know, there's no dumb question. And I'm s- saying like, I'm admitting like I have do- done not much beyond like a pink in the stink. Okay. But like, but I, and I've had, you know, yeah. The whole hand. Yeah. But I like it, what is like the pleasure like yes. experience for because I understand at least just as this is my understanding of having a lot of gay male friends and just like culturally I'm I'm aware of the fact that like men have like their prostate yep. around there. Yep. So that's like a pleasure center for yeah. men. So there so you directly stimulate the prostate. So what um, is that? We don't right. We don't yeah. have a prostate. Yeah. Um, we have analogous tissue, which sounds so sexy. Um, which is the G spot is considered like the female prostate. Yeah. And it's made of similar tissue that the prostate is made of. And you can indirectly stimulate the G spot through anal penetration. Mm-hmm. But also the ass is like tons of nerve endings. Mm-hmm. And so it feels really good. Plus it's got, you know, this naughty factor, right? Like like good girls are not supposed to do anal. Right. Um, maybe that's changed. Maybe that's different for your generation. No, but, I don't. I think, you know, it's, I think it's taboo. still. It's taboo. Still it's taboo. Right? And like, that, I'm not talking, I don't think I've had a conversation about anal sex with anyone I've ever met. Really? No, I'm okay. thinking about it, like it just doesn't come up like my friends are not like I think what comes up as like a fun thing to talk about is like oh, you know that guy you're dating might like when you put your finger in his ass. Of course. That yes. is like the thing that comes up. I yes. don't hear women other than Nikki Glaser in her stand up. Yes. talking about how she wants to get fucked in the ass yeah. and she likes it a lot. Yeah. And no and no one's ever questioned Nikki on that. <laughs> well, we can get Nikki in the studio to yeah. find that out. But. Okay, so so it's really pleasurable, and then the taboo factor—you know, like all that mental stuff, all that psychological stuff. You yeah, know, we like to kind of play on the edge. We like to be, you know, break the rules. Right. Yeah. And and I'm, for me, mm-hmm. I'm not. This isn't for everyone, but for me, it produces an orgasm that is like ten times more intense than a clitoral or a vaginal orgasm. And that's just from anal? Yes. Anal with some clitoral stimulation. Whoa. But like clitoral stimulation plus vaginal penetration, clit stimulation alone. No. Clit stimulation and anal, I'm like to the moon. Wow. Yeah. How long does it, because I know that like, maybe I'm wrong with this, but like it takes what, 45 minutes for like to become like fully engorged? Like like your, your body? Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is that you, it, it, it's like when the blood is rushing to your genitals, yeah. like your ass is not like in the kitchen making a sandwich, right? right. It's right there, right? <laughs> so, yeah. All the tissue becomes engorged, not just the clitoris and the vagina. Wow. Yeah. When you're like, when you make these videos, like who are, who are they specifically targeted for? Well, so for 10 years, I made feminist porn. Mm-hmm. And I made porn for straight people. Mm. What is feminist porn? So feminist porn is a couple things. It's different for, just like feminism Mm -hmm. has different definitions and is different for people. 
feminist porn for me revolves around like ethical production values. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it's a good work experience. People are being paid what they want to be paid. Okay. They're doing what they want to do and they're not doing anything they don't want to do. There's no surprises. There's like ultimate respect for sex workers. And then I think a lot of feminists are trying to just challenge this sort of repetitive, mass-produced porn that's mainstream that just is, well, it's boring, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, I mean, anti-porn feminists want to tell you it's really degrading and it's objectifying and it's horrible. Um, and what I think is, is just repetitive and boring. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so not only does the feminist porn have all of those values in like the production of it, mm -hmm. but you, when you're saying you're making porn for straight people and also you're commenting on the, re like the repetitiveness of it, is there, what is the other angle that's setting it apart? Is there some... Oh, right. I mean, I think because sex has this very specific formula mm -hmm. and in, in mainstream porn, a lot of the formula is um, cunnilingus optional. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't even start out like eating pussy, which is so annoying. In straight porn. Yeah. Well, it starts off when you're alone with your mom. <laughs> your stepmom. Your stepmom. Your step. Mom. Like, do people think that, like, they're tricking us by putting, like, I know this is, like, this is just, like, a Freudian fucking my mom thing. Yes. You guys are like, well, no. step, step. It's, like, it's your mom. It's You're it's, fucking your mom. <laughs> Stop pretending that's so or far your removed. your son or whatever. It, it's, I mean, they call it faux-cest, right? Faux and it is absolutely one of the most popular genres right now today. Yeah. And people go crazy for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it can get really specific. Like, I fucked my redheaded stepmom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really niche, like really down to the details. Yeah. Okay. So, so the porn you're making for straight people. We're challenging ideas that like, we have to go this formula, which is like oral sex. And oh. again, it's always a blowjob. And then like three positions of intercourse, right? We, yeah. we got to mix it up. We got to get toys in the mix. We have to get way more pussy eating in the mix. Uh -huh. Hand jobs, um, switching up the order of things, uh -huh. right? Women and non-binary people having real orgasms. Yeah. That's a thing that you often don't see in porn. No, You know, never. in mainstream porn. Never. Not never, because I, I've been on the set of a lot of mainstream I, porn. I feel so like people are coming. You, you think it's it's fake. That's why I can't get off to, generally I can't get off to women in porn because it seems fake to me. Yeah. I mean, it's not fake since I know a ton of porn stars yeah. and how they get off. And, yeah. And there are people who, for whom it is a job, though. Yeah. And I think that's totally valid. Yeah. Like, I don't need you to come and have a great time every time. Mm -hmm. But I would like to set up the conditions in which you do. Mm. Right? I yeah. want to make sure that you have everything you need, that, like, you've I've got your favorite sex toys, you've picked your partner, whatever kind of water you drink is on set. You know, I'm, I'm really—I I go down to the minutia of, yeah. you know, do you want orange Gatorade or— Blue Gatorade. Yeah. And actually, that makes people feel valued, which and is they can how we should be treating sex workers. Yeah. Yeah. What happens when you, like, commodify orgasm in that way? Where you're like, I'm orgasming not in, like, a private space with my partner. First of all, I think sex is commodified at every level of yeah. our culture. Yeah. So porn gets to be like the bad guy in the corner. Yeah, you're right. You're when right. in fact, like mainstream you're movies right. commodify sex, perfume ads, print ads, like Jeremy Allen in the in the Calvin Klein yeah. ads. Like that's commodifying sex. Yeah. And trying to sell stuff. In right. And now I'm picking underwear. up porn. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think we under late capitalism, we all suffer and commodify everything. Yeah. Everything's commodified. What is like a healthy way to integrate or, or to have a relationship with porn while maintaining a healthy sexual relationship with your partner? Because what I do hear a lot of now is like my partner's so into porn, they don't engage with me in the same way, or there's like a numbing out. Right, right, right. I mean, the first ethical way to engage with porn is to pay for it. Yeah. Right. Um, you can't, we can't have more porn and we definitely can't have more quality porn with porn performers being paid their rates if no one pays for it, right? So the tube sites essentially kind of exploded, not in a good way, the the whole industry, right? Once the tube sites and the, you know, there's so much piracy. So you have to pay for your porn. I think you can nowadays like go to porn websites and 
read their mission statement. You can follow performers and directors and producers on social media, and they will give you a sense of like, this is what it's like on my set. This is what I'm trying to do. So you can get a much clearer sense of, you know, who's who's creating ethically made porn, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's another way. And then I think you've got to talk about it with your partner, you right? Do, what I, you're getting off to, like in terms of... um, Not necessarily what you're getting off to, but I think that there's a moment in which like you can have by yourself time and then also couple time, Yeah, right? And I think we have to, con- you know, consider kind of like this, these people are experts. They are, they're playing at the Olympic level. They can do amazing, amazing things. And our bodies may not be able to do those things. So I think there also needs to be some basic realism, Mm -hmm. right? Like what is realistically possible? And then the other thing that I put in my movies, which is really important to me, we're going back to consent. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone just like reaches up and starts choking their partner, and if someone wants to try to replicate that, guess what? Those folks had a conversation. Yeah. The conversation was not on camera. The conversation happened, you know, at the catering table, if there's even catering. And so they talked about that beforehand. But if you're going to like surprise choke someone, d- don't surprise choke someone. And while we're at it, you can't surprise anal someone. <laughs> yeah. You there's it's, no not a, it's not a thing. That's surprise like, anal. Not a thing. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a funny phrase. Surprise anal. I, uh, I wonder like if it's interesting because like we, there's such an abundance, uh, just of navigating like jealousy with your partner and also Mm. like the abundance of ways to like, just sex is everywhere. Yes. You know? And like, I've dated people that like want to know when you masturbate or like what you're looking at. I've, I've been in open relation and you, you're so like knee deep in all of this and (laughs) you, you're ass deep in all of this. I am. And, uh, your book opening up, that's called. Right. Which is about open relationships. Um, you know, this is a book that people often go to and are referred to when they talk about opening a relationship. And I, I feel like I've, I've kind of failed at open relationships. I've tried and I failed. why? How do you define failure? Um, I just feel like I fuck it up. How? A lot. I feel like one is that, and I, this was when I was younger, and I think if I were to, to, to kind of approach that again, I would do it differently. But one is that I open the relationship from a place of trying to like, my partner and I will do it as like a solve to something that we're missing. Which I didn't think that at the time. But looking back, I can see that it was like, all right, this isn't, let's just open this. Yeah. I mean, and, and that doesn't work. And if there's issues in the relationship and then you open a relationship, those issues get magnified tenfold. Right. Absolutely, they get magnified. Right. So, yeah, it's not a fix. Uh, yeah. Not even a little. It's an, it's an additive. <laughs> well, w- what I would say, okay, l- let me say that yeah. there are some people who open in order to address, say, a sexual incompatibility. Yeah. Right? So someone comes out as bi in the relationship. And it's like, I'd really like to explore sex with people of a different gender than you. Yeah. And so in that case, they're addressing an issue within the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that actually works. And I've seen that work for right. a lot of people. Also, it could not work. Yeah. But so, so you, there are issues to be addressed. Like what about when someone decides they're kinky or they want to try kink, right? It's like, I call that like a mixed marriage, mm-hmm. which is a kinky person and a non-kinky person. Yeah. And then it allows the kinky person to explore this desire and this pleasure, mm-hmm. but not have to abandon this relationship, which on many other levels meets their needs and wants. Yeah. It's just one of them's into kink, one of them's not. What What have you found to be like the most effective or successful way to like even broach this as a subject when you've been in a monogamous relationship, maybe with someone who historically has no experience with this, maybe you have no experience with this, right. but you see this floating around the ether, you're curious about it. <laughs> yeah. But Sometimes to, I think the idea of bringing this home and ta- like having this conversation is so daunting. You feel you're going to like risk the whole relationship. I mean, that's a good point. And you kind of have to decide what you know about your partner. Yeah. But I think sometimes that's just fear. 
Yeah. Right. So so you talk yourself out of it before yeah. you even get to the conversation. Right. Right. And yeah. and and that's also because open relationships are are stigmatized, they're judged. And so people are hesitant to, to sort of bring this up. I think if you're not a direct communicator, I'm a really direct communicator, mm-hmm. right? So it's like if I want to have sex with you, I'll just literally come up to you and be like, Do you want to have sex with me? Okay. Well. That's my style. Anyone who knows that's me. That's a cold call? It's a cold call. At a bar? Um, it can be anywhere. I mean, you know, I, I've like propositioned waiters who flirted with me. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I always think men are going to be easier, uh-huh. right? Because that's kind of the thing, right? Men is like, oh, oh, like your game? Like, let's go in the bathroom right now. Yeah. And actually, when I proposition men, they are like, <laughs> they, just, they just fucking Freeze. Really? It's so funny. What what is going on? Because I, I, I would think that too. I would think they oh, um I think like that kind of assertiveness yeah. sometimes intimidates them. Yeah. Or they don't want it. They want to be kind of the pursuer. Uh-huh. And when I just say like, hi, I'm down. Yes now. <laughs> they turn me down. <laughs> More than you might think. More than you might think. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about the open relationship when we're, oh, how to have your a conversation. Fear, your fear yes. kind of takes you out of it before you yeah. even get a chance yeah. to bring it up. So one way to bring it up in a kind of indirect way, if you have a different communication style, is to bring it up in a general way. Is to say, hey, I saw this article yeah. on, you know, on the web about polyamory or about swinging or non-monogamy. Like, like, will you read it and talk to me about it? Mm-hmm. Or this is what I got from the article. Like, what do you think? Yeah. Right? So instead of saying, like, I want to have an open relationship with you now. Yeah. Which can be too direct for some people and can catch them off guard. Um, I think to so- sort of slide into it a mm-hmm. little bit with lube, slide into it. Yeah, not spit. Um, can be a little easier for people. And then I say read all that you can, find non-monogamous people in your community. You do not go straight from the conversation and an agreement to an orgy. That is not the path. Yeah. You got to really go slowly. You got to dip your toe in the water. Yeah. You've got to think, okay, what if I saw my partner make out with someone else? What does that feel like in my body? Right. You've got to gauge this stuff before you start playing with other people. Okay. So it when when you say that though, what does that feel like in your body? The thought of it for me makes me upset. Yeah. My stomach starts going like this. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. At the same time, I don't I would imagine a lot of people, their stomach would go like that and they would still think I could tolerate that or let me come up with a like that doesn't necessarily take you out of the no. po- like you might still fucking hate your partner going out with people, right? Well, the thing is, that's the thing about jealousy is that we all have some level of jealousy. I mean, there's people who say they've never had, they've never been jealous and that could be the way their brain is wired. Yeah. But most people experience jealousy. So the idea that people who are non-monogamous never experience jealousy, that's a myth. Yeah. Like we're all dealing with jealousy on a regular basis. We're just trying to unlearn it. We're trying to confront it. And we're trying to examine, like, where it comes from. Because quite often, it's not about the other person, right? It's about your own fear, your own insecurity, insecurities you may have about the relationship, comparing yourself to the other partner, right? We we do all of these things in our head. Yeah. And— And so I think it's natural to get that sort of pit of your stomach feeling. And the question is, like, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to be curious about why you have that feeling? No, I'm going to live in scarcity. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool, cool, cool. Everyone can do their own thing. But that seems so clear. That's so clearly more evolved to to be able to tolerate. I know, I know I'm saying everything wrong. You you could correct, correct. It's not. No, I just, I, I think. You have to be evolved in order to navigate open relationships successfully, right? I mean, I want to say you have to be a really excellent communicator. Like, if you don't like talking and processing, 
breaking news. Yeah. There's more of that than the sex. Yeah. <laughs> so you really have to be like into talking about your feelings and talking about other people's feelings. Yeah. And then the second thing is, I don't think you have to be like evolved, like you've reached enlightenment. Yeah. I think you do have to be working on yourself. Yeah. Whatever that means would be good if everyone was in therapy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, But just working on yourself and being able to own up to what's yours. Yeah. And then what your partner may be doing that's making you feel insecure or unsafe or whatever it is. But you got to own your stuff. Yeah. And that's a like repetitive thing, right? Because it's going to keep coming up and you've got to know, okay, where does this jealousy come from? Mm -hmm. And mostly it's like really old wounds, right? It's like fear of abandonment. Yeah. It's like fear that you're not good enough. It's fear that your partner's going to leave you. It's fear that you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. Like, this is such a great relationship, and I don't want to lose it. Yeah. Right? These are all, like, big things. So, of course, your stomach's going to, like, jump a little bit, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because these are intense feelings. You know, I think about, like, certain aspects of an open relationship. I'm like, okay, if, you know, if a couple— Wow, I'm like, it's amazing. I think I'm so, like— you know, cool and like progressive and like, and then I think about this and I'm like, it's a between a man and a woman and it's closed. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I can feel all of my stuff coming up, even talking about it. Like I would have a really difficult time, open thing. Like if you're sleeping with someone and I don't know about it and I, and then I, I could pretend it's not happening, whatever, maybe I could live like, you know, a, a happy life with a few ulcers. But, but if my partner develops a crush, uh-huh. And they and then they have this that whole new relationship energy and they start getting excited when their name pops up on their phone. That would make me want to just kill a lot of people. Like if they're texting and I see them getting giddy and they're in bed and they're saying good morning to someone else. And then the other story I'm telling myself about that is like this idea that I have about sex with someone I'm I'm in love with. Mm-hmm. This is all my bullshit and I'm not saying this is right or whatever. It's just my shit, okay? Is that like this is a sacred place mm-hmm. that I go to with my person and I'm the only person that gets to have them this way. Mm. How, I have a hard time yeah. even even allowing my partner to have a past. <laughs> Oh, you, you really won't date me then. Um, like, wow, the numbers are, it's like well, the three digits. You know, yeah. when I was reading your book, by the way, A Part of the Heart Can't Be Eaten, mm-hmm. your memoir. Yes. The way you describe sex with people, I was thinking I would be really upset if I were your partner. It would be really hard for me to like, because you're saying this person was the best at this or they were this at this. And that would like send me. Well, first of all, these are folks that I dated like 20 years ago. Still. Right? And I'm Don't actually, you love me? Um, and I'm actually... <laughs> I'm in touch with some of them. You know, so many people who I wrote about in the book, especially sexually, like I I sent them the chapter beforehand. Yeah. And I said, like, do you want to talk about this? And also I used a lot of pseudonyms mm-hmm. and I changed a lot of information so yeah. that people couldn't be identified. Yeah. And and most people requested that. Mm. You know, there are only a few people who are like, use my name. Can you work in my email? That would be great. Too. Yeah, yeah. Put my number at the end. <laughs> yes, please. Let me use this as a dating vehicle. Yeah. Um, I get that thing about the sacredness, right? And yeah. and that for some people that's what they want, right? That's they want monogamy because they want that. Yeah. But people have all different relationships to sex. Like I can have sex with someone and not really form an attachment. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's like I hate the word casual sex mm-hmm. because I've had some of the most like mind-blowing, wow, I still think about it sex with someone I didn't know very well, and I only had sex with them once. Yeah. Right? So there can still be an experience. Yeah. And a layered, deep experience. But I don't want to date them. I don't want to hang out with them. Like, I don't have romantic feelings for them. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like—and sometimes sex is, like, fun, and it's, like, just—it's, like, for people who like playing golf, but, like, you like having sex. Mm -hmm. Like, you like— being with other people in this particular way and sharing this thing that you both really— I know a man that says that to his wife, and they're open. And he's like, listen, some guys play golf. Right. I I just want to go fuck other women. I just want to go fuck other women. Yeah. Well, so he's not wrong. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? No, he's right. For some people, it's it's very social. It's community-based. It's fun. Yeah. But I will agree with you in that sex with someone you have an emotional connection with, it's different. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. It's different. Is it better? Is it better? It's different. I'm going to stick with the word different. Really? For me, it's certainly more intense. Mm -hmm. 
for me, I can open up more. Mm -hmm. I can be more uninhibited. This person like knows my body really well and, and I love them. Right. So it does feel different than, you know, if I saw someone at a party and was like, Hey, let's fuck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What do you think about people navigating open relationships while having children? Yeah. So I don't have children. Yeah. I have dogs. Um, and, they, and they leave the bedroom when I have sex. Yeah. So it's the boundaries are real clear yeah. at my house. Mm-hmm. Although my chihuahua has recently become interested <laughs> in, in watching, in <laughs> at, like from a distance. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, is that okay? And I, it's sort of like, I asked my partner, like, can my dog walk? Should I send the dog out? Should I put her in the crate? Yeah. Because one of the dogs is like, the minute you just like, uh, just one little, <laughs> ooh, she is like, I am out of here. Really? This is, nope, I'm gone. Right? Oh. So you like, literally, you could just turn on the vibrator and Moxie, my dog, is just yeah. like, I'm out. I know what you're doing and I'm not into it. Okay. But now the chihuahua usually goes out with her and now the chihuahua has become curious. I think she <laughs> likes my, I think he likes my partner a lot. Yeah. And so he's, I don't know. And he's also like maybe being a little protective of me. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, that's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing to my mom? What are you doing to my mom? So I don't have kids, <laughs> but you know, I think there's there's a there's some really good research. There's a there's a great book by Eli Chef called The Polyamorists Next Door. Mm-hmm. And it's a oh, long I've heard of that. I've heard about yeah, that. It's yeah, it's a longitudinal study of polyamorous families. And I think you've got to make a decision kind of what the boundaries are, what you want to share with your kids. I mean, if you're going to sex parties on the weekend and you're not really staying in touch with these folks, then, or if you're like, you have a girlfriend, but you see them once a week, do you have to integrate them into your family? That That's kind of up to you, right? right? So it's, it's also the style of non-monogamy is real. That's like how you have to consider like how you explain it. Yeah. But I also think kids know a lot more than we give them credit for. Yeah. And it's not really talking about your sex life. It's like saying, I love your other parent so much. And I also love this person, you know, who you may think of as like an aunt or we're getting back into the family dynamics. Um, as a faux aunt. It's a faux aunt. But you might know them as your redheaded stepmom. <laughs> your redheaded big busty stepmom big busty. helping stepson de-stress. Yes, yes. You may think of that. I love a so- stepson de-stress. <laughs> she jerks him off before he does homework. Yeah, and, and before his homework. That really that's that chill, nice. chills him out. That chills him out. Chills him out. So I think, you know, talking to kids is really important yeah. and being open. And But I think there's like a tricky line because yeah. I know parents who I interviewed for my book and who I know now who are in this tricky thing, which is like, you know, I have a husband and a girlfriend, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that is totally cool. This is just another kind of relationship. This is another kind of love. This is another kind of family. And then depending on their age, you might also have to say, don't tell anyone. To the kid or to the? To the kid. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. depending on what community you live in, Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, a churchgoer, if if this is actually going to impact your life in a negative way yeah. because it's stigmatized or if this is going to impact like your divorce proceedings or right. any of that, it's like, it's a weird thing to say to a kid, I'm super proud of this. Don't tell anyone. You yeah, got to kind of explain that and explain that it's not about how we feel about the relationship. It's about how other people are are judgmental mm-hmm. and are, are prejudiced, mm-hmm. right? So, so you, that's how you kind of have to word it so that it makes sense to a kid and it isn't a source of shame. There's so much shame around sex and relationships and how we do them. Like we do not need to pile shame shame onto it. it. It's already there. We're swimming in it. It's really hard to let go of that messaging that we get about sex. And so we don't need to pile on shame about anything else. It is so weird. Like I was thinking about it the other day. I was in a house with all my friends. Everyone's in a a couple. And I was thinking about how like everyone goes to their room and it's like this quiet thing of like people are going to have sex now. (laughs) 
And it's like a secret thing. Like, you're going to have sex with your person and, you know, be quiet. We're in a house with a lot of people. They right. want you to hear. Everyone should be quiet. Yeah. You know, and then in the morning, everyone, how was your night? It's like, it's like, no one, it's like this, this underground, don't talk about it. But then when you split off, you might want to whisper to your friends and your partner's friends might whisper right. to their friends. But it's not like you come down for breakfast. So like, how was everyone's, everyone fuck last night? Well, it's really funny because I want to tell a story about my friend Ashley. Tell her so, story about Ashley. Ashley was staying with me. Um, and actually, like, the the guest room and my bedroom are, are pretty far apart, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not like we're next door sharing a wall, yeah. right? And we were, like, giggling about we want to go to bed at 9 o'clock because we want to have sex and we're old, so we have to start at 9. Yeah. Um, and Ashley was like, feel free to leave the door open. And so... Was it actually I, hitting on you? I No. I looked at my partner and, you know, she likes to put on a show and so do I. And, you know, we like people watching us have sex. And so, no. So what Ashley did was Ashley was in her own room and she got to listen to us have sex. And and the breakfast the next morning was not awkward. Was, was Ashley with someone that night? No. Or she was just listening to you guys? She was just listening. Wow. That's yeah. lovely. So it, So it's like… <laughs> It's not like it, so. It's, Is she it's, getting off to that? You don't care. Uh, one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I didn't ask her, <laughs> but if she is, like, I'm happy for her. Great, right? And yeah. I think if I like were listening to someone having sex, I mean, I that turns me on, right? That of course that, that really turns you on. So I yeah. think like this is a turn on, whether you're masturbating or not masturbating, right? But it, it's not awkward in that she knows we're going in there to have sex. Yeah, she's gonna hear maybe some like low stuff. Yeah. And she was just basically like, if you're into it, I'm into it. Right? Yeah. And it was fun. And it was like fun for her to just like smile wide like over French toast the next morning. (laughs) That sounds kind of fun. I wonder. (laughs) You're making a face that that no, says I, it's not fun. It does sound like, it sounds fun. Here's the truth is it sounds fun and it sounds dangerous to me. Like I'm scared of it. Danger. Oh, dangerous. It's a big word. Yeah. Just like, it feels like threatening. Like I would be worried about like, what does this mean for me and Ashley? What does this mean for me and my partner? I'm coming from it from my monogamous yeah. place where I'm like, yeah. oh God, like I would go to my partner and be like, oh, does Ashley want to fuck us? Or like, do I have to talk to Ashley about it? Or like, like I could get First to- of all, Ashley's going to just love that she's on your show. Okay. And she's going to be like, if you do not tag me, bitch. No, we'll tag Ashley. Okay, great. No, it sounds fun. And I think if I, I don't know. Well, here's my the thing. Hang- I have problems. All of us go to sex parties. Yeah. So there is, I, I could see Ashley have sex in public. Yeah. Ashley could see me have sex in public. Yeah. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah. So I feel like it's in that same wheelhouse, mm-hmm. right? And she has good boundaries and she has good communication and yeah, and we're friends and we're also in this sex world. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a strange thing for her right. to say that. And also we could have closed the door. No, you're just we to be clear. I'm not judging you. I'm examining myself. Yeah. I hope you can. Yeah. I hope you see that. Yeah. Oh, what's coming up for me now is like if sex isn't the thing in your life that is deeply private. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Obviously, it, you read about my sex life in the book. Yeah. No, I read <laughs> and I came so many times. What? What is the thing? Is there a thing that you're like? Well, this is like a very private thing that I hold really close. Or do you not have have something that you return to as really private? I think that there are specific sexual things I do with my partner that are super private. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do them in public. I wouldn't do them with the door open when I had a guest. Yeah. They're like special things that may be edge play for us that may be, um, you know, out of our comfort zone or that make one of us or both of us feel really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I would say Yes, there are sex things that I wouldn't just sort of like do out in the world. Yeah. That are like reserved just for us. Yeah. Right. You know, the the idea of privacy is it's really interesting because I feel like I've been public my whole adult life, mm-hmm. you know, and I've written about my sex life and I've written about my relationships and I've written about myself and my experiences in my sex books, in my relationship books. And so, and, and part of that is like, I have the privilege to do that. Like I have the privilege to be out as queer, as kinky, as polyamorous, and not everyone has that. So I feel like if you can do that, you should. 
Yeah. Because people need role models and representation matters. And so like I've, you know, I worked in porn under my own given name. Everyone I went to high school with has found me on Facebook and other social media. Like there is no mystery. They can go watch me have sex online right now. Yeah. You know, because porn is forever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, certainly there are like conversations um, and there are rituals I do with my partner that are very private mm-hmm. that I wouldn't share, that I may not even share with my friends because mm-hmm. they're just for us. Yeah. So I don't feel like we're kind of on display at all times. Yeah. I feel like we can put ourselves on display and share with an audience what we want to share. Mm-hmm. I could keep going here, but I want to talk about some things I read in your book that I loved. Oh, but you have a quote that I need to get into. I don't think it was from your this memoir. But um, you said, the truth is, even if I were with a heterosexual guy, I'd be a queer dyke. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what that means to you. Yeah. So I have always identified as queer and I've always identified as a dyke. The word lesbian, the word bisexual, they don't really ring true for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, being a dyke is more than who I have sex with, who I fall in love with, who I date. It's really about my culture, my community, my politics, the way that I see the world is in pretty radical terms. And that's why queer works for me. And I have dated heterosexual men and I've been in long-term, well, I've been in serious relationships, (laughs) maybe not long-term. Um, and that Tuesday was serious. Man. That was, that was, serious. I can, I can accomplish a lot in two months, <laughs> as I said. Um, yeah. so, and I, and I do, fu- I still fuck cis straight identified men. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like that alters my identity mm-hmm. in any way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I remember, <laughs> this is a funny story. <laughs> okay. So there's a, there's a guy that's sort of like a booty call, uh, situation who comes to my house and fucks me and leaves, yeah. right? Yeah. And so this one time that he did it, I he he's also tall and quite strapping. Mm-hmm. And so the one time he did it, I followed him out to, to let him out of the front door. And I was like, oh, hey, can you just like untangle my pride flag, which is like outside my house? Because <laughs> it's like it got caught up in the wind and I'm not tall enough. I'd have to like get on a ladder. Yeah. And I was like, can you just like fix my pride flag before you go? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> that's perfect. So that's kind of that's how perfect... I see, you know what I mean? If he doesn't respect my that's queer identity, sexuality. then I'm not going to fucking fuck him. Like if he's homophobic or transphobic or any of those things, yeah. or if he's like, you just need a good man. I'm like, goodbye. Yeah. But once you've like vetted that about mm-hmm. a person and they are respecting your identity, then we can do whatever we want. Yeah. Right? Yes. I, 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 you talked about, uh, yeah, queer not being a sexuality, but being a kind of a place from which you relate to the world. Yes. Which I think yes. is beautiful and so accurate. And I just align with that in so many ways. Yeah. Um, you said something else that like I just really loved in the book. You said, why is it that all women I end up in bed with say they want cocks when they already have them? <laughs> yes. What is that? Yes. I loved that. I can't stop thinking about that. Because, well, here's the thing. It's, yeah. it's quite it's quite taboo, again, right? For any woman of any gender presentation mm-hmm. to be like, I want a cock. Or it's like when people say, well, if you're strapping on a dick and fucking someone, like, what's what's your, your pleasure? Like, what are you getting out of it? They yeah. want to know, like, is there a vibrator rigged up to it? Is there stimulation? Is there... And I'm like, have you ever had a dick? <laughs> That's the turn on. That's the pleasure. <laughs> Fuck. I have a dick between my legs. My God, it doesn't need to be that complicated, mm, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I've often had partners who are butch or mask identified who are like, oh, like, I wish I could have my dick inside you. And But the thing is, first of all, two things. One is they all have dicks and, you know, of silicone. And actually, it's really useful to be able to, like, switch sizes and customize that to your body, just mm-hmm. FYI. Mm-hmm. You're not stuck with one dick. Mm -hmm. You just have like a drawer full of dicks. Mm -hmm. Um, And number two, as a sex educator, I know how our genitals form, like when we're embryos. And essentially, the clitoris and the dick are super similar, Yeah, right? There's a shaft, there's a glands, 
in this case, the clitoris has legs, which are in the internal part of the clitoris. And so in some ways, it's like, I can just think of that as your dick. Yeah. It's basically a dick. Yeah. I have a lot of lesbian friends that identify as tops. Mm-hmm. And they will voice the fact that they don't care to uh, receive. Receive anything or receive penetration? Receive penetration. And sometimes I get a, some from certain people, I think, receive anything. Okay. So if you don't receive any, you don't like receiving pleasure at all, you're stone. Stone is the real term for that. That's okay. Yeah. So that, okay. And then if you don't like to be penetrated, there's no word for that. So <laughs> really, it's just like everyone has their likes and dislikes, right? So let's call it stone then. Okay. Stone. The so, people who don't want, yes. don't want to be touched so, by another person. Is that is some of that like an emotional like protect like how much of that is like sexuality and how much of that is like cuz cuz when i've felt i don't want to be touched right some of that i feel was rooted in not wanting to be seen or like that like things that were coming up for me around my mm-hmm. relationship with my sexuality yeah yeah you right. know like right. what is the nuance there like is I think it's different for everyone. Yeah. Um and I think that you kind of like got to talk to the person about what kind of access you have to their body. Yeah. Right? That's like a basic conversation. Yeah. Right? What parts you want to be touched and what parts you don't want to be touched. And yeah. I think sexuality is really complicated and I feel like we get, you know, we have this script in our head, right? You were like, man, woman, one, uh, one relationship. And yeah. it's like, we have these scripts in our head and and these like how sex should be and how it should look. And so the idea that like someone's giving pleasure and not receiving pleasure, we're like, oh, what's up with that? Mm-hmm. Like we're all Libras or mm-hmm. something. Like who cares? Yeah. Like this is what I like to do sexually. Yeah. That's how I think of stone. This is what I like to do sexually. Yeah. And I'm like, great. This is what I like to do sexually. Yeah. Yes. Is there overlap? Right. Right. Sometimes I think about, because this comes up a lot for me, in, like stand up when I'm writing material, like the dyke femme dynamic as, like, I can't tell sometimes. The if, butch like, femme dynamic? The butch femme butch dynamic. Femme Sorry. Dynamic. I'm catching up to you. But um, <laughs> I can't tell, like, how much of that is, like, heteronormativity has been so ingrained in people that like even in my queer life I'm going back to this binary right that right. I'm like replicating or if it's just like that energetic exchange is so fucking human that like falling into those roles feels really good and like I get off on a certain amount of power and I get off on like being subjugated by a certain amount of masculinity like those questions just swirl around for me when you see a queer couple and it's like you know, I make a joke in my stand-up that I'm the boy one. I know. It's like, I, that is funny. You know, like when it's like boy-girl. Right. And you see right. that kind of iterated in queerness. Sure. So a couple things. I, you know, I have a whole chapter in my book called Femme is My Gender, mm-hmm. where I break it all down mm-hmm. um, about what femme means to me and what it means to my identity yeah. and how it relates to both my partners, mm-hmm. but also how it's just me. Yeah. I, I can be femme sitting here without the presence of a masculine person. Yeah. Right? And I also think, like, I was struck that you said, um, oh, sometimes I want to be subjugated by masculinity. Okay. I am not subjugated or degraded in any way by my butch or mask or trans masculine partners. Yeah. That, That is not a dynamic. Yeah. Unless we're like consenting and doing role play. So to me, in the it was like a consensual, like fantasy type. Yeah. Of like, yeah. Statically separate. But I think you're also conflating butch with top and femme with bottom. I am conflating. Yeah. And so that's not always true. You're either. right. You're right. I identify as a dominant femme. Yeah. Um, with switchy tendencies. Yeah. And I'm in a butch femme relationship. And for me, It's really about like this sort of energy exchange. And also, I think we have to constantly question why masculinity is only assigned to cis men, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone has masculine qualities. Everyone has feminine qualities. And so the idea that we are somehow replicating like a cis man and a cis woman, it's just... 
why do why are they get to claim this masculine feminine dynamic mm-hmm. and we as queer people and queer women mm-hmm. don't yeah we we get to claim that too mm-hmm. and and for me like female masculinity is incredibly attractive yeah other kinds of masculinity in other bodies like trans folks is really sexy and attractive to me yeah and so i don't feel like i'm in a quote unquote straight relationship at all. Yeah. Because the ways in which we're relating to each other, the amount of equity in our relationships, I don't feel stuck in those scripts at all. I feel like it is, these are entirely queer genders and very queer relationships. God, you're so well-spoken. You are like, you're, you're like, uh, and I know you've like been in this space, like, but just, you're like, you grab the, all the right words really quickly. Thanks. It's really like you're just it's great to hear. Um you you use the term uh breakthrough lover. <gasps> this is book? something it's so funny that you bring this up. This is something that has resonated with so many people. I would say it's one of the things that everyone who interviews me talks about yeah. and then people who just read it yeah. and then like email me and they're like this is this is a thing. And this is like a a coin a term I coined like for myself. I didn't, you know, write an essay about it. I didn't write it in a book until my memoir. So here's what a break- I want a whole essay on breakthrough lover. I, okay, great. I here's what a breakthrough lover is. So a breakthrough lover is someone that you come together with and you Basically, like you do something for the first time or you do something that normally would, you know, is out of your comfort zone or is really edgy for you. And it brings you to like a different level of your sexuality. Like you've ser- you've discovered and ex- I keep hitting the mic. Hit it. It likes you, it. You've <laughs> you've discovered and explored this new part of your sexuality. And sometimes that happens just because of the sort of chemistry and connection with a particular partner. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you're like, I can learn new things. And as someone, as a dyke who's like going to be 53 years old, I'm here to say I can learn new things from lovers. And I have learned new things from lovers. And that's super exciting. When I tell people, oh, hey, like I tried something for the first time. They're like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. I don't even know what that could be. Yeah. Uh, given my experience, but you are always learning. You're always evolving. You're always changing. And so once you have a breakthrough lover, your sexuality has changed forever, right? Mm-hmm. You can't go back. Yeah. There's this new part of you that's kind of cracked open mm. and it's really powerful. Yeah. Right. It's really, really powerful and intense. Yeah. And I feel like my very first serious girlfriend was also a breakthrough lover. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I write about her in the way that I do in this book. I mean, she turned me out. She she made me queer. She made me kinky. Um, she laughs about it still and says, I took to it like a fish to water. <laughs> so she doesn't feel like she like did all of it. She was just like, I just like held your hand and opened the door. And then you were like all the way through it. But um, I love yeah. the term. It, it's so... I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. And then in retrospect, I can use it to like name certain. Yes. Just the opening of a door, crossing some sort of threshold. Yes. Even when you use the phrase turn me out and like she made me gay. Yeah. It's like she. I, I'm kidding, obviously. Well, I don't know. But like. Turn me out is like a real OG, like a real old school term, which. And no so we say turning. Oh, t- turning. Okay. Yeah. But I guess turn um, me out. That sounds even more graphic. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. I don't mean she made me gay, obviously. But uh, I like to joke that that. No, know, I like She it. was that person who uh, was a big turning point for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then you becoming the breakthrough lover from someone else. And then, yes. And then later. And that's really exciting to kind of hold space for someone to discover a part of their sexuality because sometimes you're discovering it in real time. Yeah. Now, sometimes it's been kind of in the background, but you're like, I don't know that I can go there. Right. And then you meet someone and you're like, I can go there. You with feel this safe person. enough to do that. Yeah. Isn't you that do. incredible? Yes. And so to hold space for someone to like discover a part of their sexuality, it's it's one of the greatest joys in life. Yeah. Okay. I just had a breakthrough when you were saying this. Okay. What I'm realizing when I said the emotional connection with sex. What I'm realizing is that 
in order for me to have like the most satisfying sex, and maybe this is like a limiting belief story I'm telling myself, is that like I need to feel really safe. And it's hard for me to feel safe with someone that I haven't been like consistently connected to. Yes. So it doesn't mean that I couldn't have like a fun sexual experience that's satisfying. But I think in order for me to create that safety, like that takes a lot of time for me. Yeah. I think that's that's totally common. Yeah. Right. I I mean, I think we all want to, need to, and should be safe during sex. Yeah. Right. Um, And that's going to look different for different people. Yeah. What what that is. But we all have a right to feel safe during sex. Yeah. Period. End of story. Yeah. Also, have you considered yourself possibly a demisexual? What is that? Demisexual, demisexual people are people who can't, aren't even really attracted to someone and can't get sexually into someone unless they have an emotional connection. And that emotional connection needs to be first. Believe it or not, I could totally have sex with someone that I don't like. <laughs> okay, so could I. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, how are you having sex with her? She's like, sucks. I'm like, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Although that's <laughs> changed for me as I've gotten older. But which it's is changed that, for me. Like, Republicans are a hard limit for me. Really? Like, like, yeah. Like, if I know that that's your politics, I am not fucking you. Like, I don't want that energy on me. And, like, you are antithetical to everything I believe in. Okay. So if, like, you're a Trumper or you're a Republican and you're like, well, but I'm fiscally concerned. Nope. Uh, it's a no from me. It's a no from me. Okay. No gray area. Yeah. But I've I've certainly um, had sex with people and then mm-hmm. later sort of had a, t- a conversation with them and thought, yeah, I don't really want to hang out with you. But the sex was great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, historically, I felt like I could excuse more, make more concessions. I'll say in terms mm. of who, and and now I don't I don't feel as interested in making concessions. Yeah, because like when you're in your twenties, come on, it, it's like the spark is there, and you're just like let's have like let's go. Yeah, there's there's really not a lot of barriers, right? And also there's not a lot of you know um, discriminate like yeah <laughs> not discrimination, but what's the word? Uh, you're not as discerning. You're not as discerning. Yeah. And so, and then as you get older, you're like, like for me at this age, I can see someone like super hot, uh, who's younger than me. And I talk to them for a bit and I'm like, you know what? Not worth it. Yeah. (laughs) I see, like, I see it and I see where it could go. And it's just not that important to me to have sex with you. So I'm, I'm, I I think when you're 20, you don't see red flags or you don't see like what something could become. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, you're like, I, I need, I'm more picky. Like, I'm more particular. Yeah. My therapist said something to me that I think you might hate. Oh. I'm going to say it. Okay. So, we're and she has done a lot of work in, um, like, the SLAW, sex love addicts curriculum. She's worked with a lot of recovering sex addicts. And she also treats a lot of dominatrixes. So, she has a lot of, like, sex-oriented, like, does a lot of sex-oriented work with her yes. clients. And we were talking about sex. And I was talking about this emotional connection with sex with her. And she said to me that she'll often ask her male clients of all the sexual interactions they've had, how many of them would they redo experiences they've had? And she says, most people come in women and they'll say that they've had somewhere between 30 and 40 partners, but she has clients that are way more sexually adventurous and explorative. And she has men that have had 400 partners, 300 partners, and women also have 300, 400 partners. And the men will say, when she says, how many of those would you do again? They'll say, you know, 398. And men will say, I would redo almost all of them. <laughs> and she goes, okay. And then she will ask the women, even the, you know, the, the most experienced women, 300, 400 partners, how many would you do again? And they'll say two or three. Oh. And I was like, why, why do you think that is? And she, her explanation for this, and I don't know if we want to agree with it, is that for women specifically in a way that just men don't relate to sex in this way. Again, she's like pretty gendered and like there's mm-hmm. a big binary with this woman. She's like yeah. a 70-year-old German woman who grew up in like, you know, foster care in Berlin. Um, she said women don't categorize in their minds. They don't catalog their sexual experiences based on the experience alone. They will then use what happens after their experience with that person to kind of write what that looks like in their memory. What if you never see the person? <laughs> what if you have no 
little to no information right, about but, them. No, I, um, I don't know. But I thought it. Right. I thought it was interesting in general for people that maybe aren't like as. I don't know. I thought uh, it, it reinforces this sort of stereotype, yeah. right? Which is all men uh, can have sex and want sex. That's like free of attachment. Yeah. And all women get attached when they have sex, yeah. which is just not true. And we've got good research on this. And I feel like it's super heteronormative. Yeah. And also, by the way, it discounts men who right, get don't want that. Yeah. yeah, yeah who get yeah. attached yeah. or who are emotional or, or My who therapist, are by the way, does identify as a dyke. I will say that. To Wait. To this study. My therapist does identify as a dyke. But a 70-year-old dyke? Yeah. Okay. Okay. 65? I mean, generationally. 100%. So— Just to add color to the— Yeah. I um, I mean, I believe in her sort of anecdotal evidence. Yeah. And she's dealing with a particular population of people. Yeah. Right? Which we have to look at. Um, Like, she doesn't have a cross-section of the country. Yeah. She has the people who come to therapy. Yeah. She has to therapy 20 people in Beverly Hills. For her. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah, in Beverly Hills. Yeah. So, yeah, I just feel like— the, the part that makes me, like, yuck is mm-hmm. just this reinforcing of of gender. Yeah. And then also, I just got to say up front, I, I don't believe in sex addiction. Sex addiction, addiction is not in the DSM. No psychological organization has has said this is a real disease. The, the sex addiction industry is really sex negative, is often involved with religious beliefs, and wow. is damaging. Wow. So so I, I got to say up front that like it. I made a judgment before you even told me the okay. story that like we don't share the same philosophy values. values. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Not s- you and I. No, I know. I know. Me and the and your, and your therapist. Right now. No, I, th- here's what I would, would say. Even if it's not in the DSM, I would say from experience, friends that I know that are in SLAW, whatever it is, that even if it's not considered a disease— there are some ways that people relate to sex that might be uh, not unlike anything else, medicating, compulsive. Yeah. So, so okay. Yeah. So there's a whole school of therapists. Um, I'm I'm going to mess this up, but I think it's Dr. David Lay, and if it's not, my apologies, who, um, who talks about out-of-control sexual behavior. Yeah. Which I think is again, is more like compulsive, yeah. right? We, we can take anything to the extreme. Yeah. Anything. We, if, if you're doing something that's occupying all your time, that is like draining your bank account, that is making you feel really bad about yourself, that is impacting all the relationships in your life, that is making it hard for you to function in your life, that's not good. Yes. Right? And we can do that with all sorts of things. Yeah. But the word addiction is like a very specific, like, physical thing that happens to people. Mm -hmm. And there's no proof that that happens around sex. So I feel like, can there be compulsive behavior? Yes. Can there be out-of-control sexual behavior? Yes. Yes. Can people use sex for all sorts of things? Yeah. Of course. We can use TV and gambling and quite frankly, CrossFit to um, to soothe us, to medicate, to make us feel better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or to check out of the, the world for yeah. an hour, a minute, whatever. Totally. Totally. Um, I've used I've used this quote on here before because I liked it. Now I'm curious what you think about that. I mean, you're not going to have a... But there's a therapist, David Schnark. He's a couples therapist. Okay. And he, he has a quote about sex where he says, healthy people don't have sex that's not worth having. What do you think about that? Again, I think built into that is some morality and some judgment. Yeah. Who gets to define worth having? Yeah. I do. Yeah, of course. We do. And so my definition of worth having could be, in one instance, I got off. Yeah. That was the entire value. Yeah. I could say sex worth having, you know, I learned something. Mm -hmm. Sex worth having connects me to a person. Mm -hmm. Sex worth having connects me to a higher being. Yeah. Right? Sex worth having brings me to a level of ecstasy. But this idea that like worth is going to be defined, I'm pretty sure if you're going to interrogate him on sex worth having, he's going to give you a pretty like moralistic, heteronormative, in a commitment, monogamous, um, you know, relational and emotional. I mean, all sex is relational. I would say emotional. He's going to define it in a particular way. Yeah. So to me, like there's a built-in judgment about 
you know, why we have sex and also what constitutes good sex, which I think we get to define for ourselves. Yeah. Right. If good sex for you is um, I, I felt safe. We did a bunch of things. I had fun. Mm-hmm. That's sex worth having. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one piece of it that I'll draw out mm-hmm. that I think is important mm-hmm. is there are people having sex who are enduring it, mm-hmm. who are going along with it, who are not able to speak up for what they want, whose partners are not curious or attuned to their needs, um, and who aren't experiencing pleasure and orgasm. And there are way too many of those people having that kind of sex. Yeah. Um, and that makes me sad. Yeah. It makes me sad mm-hmm. because no one should have sex that they're not enjoying. Yeah. They just shouldn't. It just, it, it shouldn't be happening. And, and it's happening. And I know it is because I talk to those people all the time. Uh, I mean, it's everywhere. I, I, I've ta- I And also, you know, not for nothing, straight women are really getting the short end of the stick on this. I mean, more straight women are sort of unsatisfied with their sex lives than um, I, than queer women. There, there's some good research on this. So here's a great example. Yeah. I was at a sex party last week, mm-hmm. right? And I, was I didn't ha- see you there. <laughs> Funny. You know why? She's it was so me. fucking dark. I could barely <laughs> we see We had sex. Anyone. <laughs> that was me. No, I definitely had sex with one person. So I was having sex with my partner. She was going down on me. And then we were like fucking. And then it's like hours later. And a friend of ours came up to us who primarily dates men. Yeah. And she said to my partner, can you teach my boyfriend that, that skill set, that oral sex skill set? That was just like really involved. And it w- went on for really long. Now, really long is relative. We were at a party and we're trying to cut to the chase. It actually wasn't really long, but it like made me think immediately like, oh, if you're not getting this quality of oral sex, girl, I feel bad. Mm. You should be getting quality oral sex. Mm -hmm. You should be getting quality oral sex. Come on. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've said this like when I first started, when I was dating, I was dating men growing up until I came out and I never enjoyed sex with men. Mm -hmm. And when I would share with my friends, straight friends, they were like, that's just, no, it's not like good, really. Like, you know, like they would be like, this makes me so insane. Like, I just want to heal the world. You know? Yes. Because I know I talk to straight women. I know what they tolerate. Yeah. I know what they negotiate. Like, I know how they fall into these gender roles and, like, especially sex that lasts, like, for eight or nine minutes. I mean, I can't even, like, get in the right headspace in eight or nine minutes. Yeah. Forget engorgement. Forget my pussy getting turned on. Forget my body being, like, ready and open to experience pleasure. Yeah. Like, eight minutes is, like, I'm just getting out of my head. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and into my body. Right. In eight minutes. Right. That's, like— I know. Yeah. You you shared um that you met the— Butch of your dreams, I did. Can you share something about the Butch of your dreams? Well, I've been sharing. We I've been sharing Please some share things, like without naming. Uh, um, what makes them the Butch of your dreams? Oh my god! Because if I if I like wrote this script, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote like this is the hottest Butch in the world, mm-hmm. and th- that is this Butch. Wow! Like she is everything I ever wanted. She is caring and compassionate and she loves that I'm like a bossy femme. I'm real bossy, right? So it's like you got to get with that uh-huh. or you can't, you know, be having it. Yeah. I have a hickey. You have a hickey? Yes. That's so fun. <laughs> That's so fun. You Do you ask for it or you hickey? I ask for them. If I'm yeah, really, no, I I'm like, like to, I want one. I like to be marked. Yeah. Um, but then I realized, oh, I'm going on. I'm, I I should probably wear something that like covers my hickey. But no, now, love hickeys, now yeah. I've revealed it to you because I am 15. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of your wisdom and your knowledge and having these conversations with me. Like, I don't think I've, I've had no one on the show that is, has been such a wealth of knowledge on this. Oh, so thank you. Thank I really you. appreciate it. 